0: A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes.
1: With a massive move to distributed data architecture, it's essential to have access to all of your data wherever it is. A data mesh emphasizes domain-driven data ownership, data as a product, self-service infrastructure, and federated computational governance, giving you faster time to value without needing to transport your data. Starburst allows you to achieve this distributed architecture by allowing you to run SQL queries across distributed data that connects sources, regions, and clouds. For more information on how your team can benefit from a Data mesh strategy, check out our Data Mesh Resource Center on our website.
0: Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about data mesh. And we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left data stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in ho- founding things. But I've left to start data mesh understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do data mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed two people from the data consultancy Go Data Driven: Stephen Nguyen, head of strategy, and Guillermo Sanchez, analytics engineering tech lead. Guillermo started off by talking about how he was seeing the data engineering team as the bottleneck for a few years before Data Mesh came onto the scene, so it really made a lot of sense for him when he first saw it. For Steven, they were seeing lots of companies that were building out data platforms, especially data lakes, and then not really getting the promised benefits. So a lot of what JMac talked about in that kind of beyond the data lake initial concept really did uh, make a lot of sense and it it fit with kind of what the the GoData folks, GoData driven folks were seeing. We discussed the idea that data mesh is right for every company. It's not. It's not right for every company. And what are some good signs that an organization should consider doing data mesh? Stephen mentioned that for Go Data Driven's e-commerce clients who are smaller and digital slash cloud native, the centralized team is not really a bottleneck yet. Of course, there are always data challenges, but it's important to identify you know, what's actually happening and not just vilify centralization. The less digital native Larger customer organizations, though, are definitely seeing the centralization bottlenecks. On signs that you might want to evaluate data mesh, Guillermo pointed to a lot of the usual suspects, you know, size of company, size of data team, how many data teams or or how many data consuming teams do you have, how many data sources do you have, etc. He then gave a specific example. If you have a data analyst in a consuming domain that has to wait more than one week for data, there is a bottleneck somewhere. Is it centralization? Not sure, but it's time to start to investigate as to what's causing that. That that's a problem. Stephen gave the example of an even earlier indicator for a lot of companies, which that that bottlenecks are really occurring is that teams are starting to hire their own data people rather than leverage the central team. And then Guillermo kind of piled on that, pointed to a rise of data-consuming teams getting direct data access from the producing teams instead of going through the data team, that's another warning sign that you've got a lot of bottlenecks going through there. And that, as people are, are very well uh, aware, that having that kind of one-to-one consumption model on based on the application model is where a lot, lot, lot of problems happen. So if you see that, it's going to cause a lot of pain anyway. So you want to start to look at something like this. Guillermo made a very crucial point in my mind. Data mesh is really about interfaces. People talk about data products being the technical communication interface between teams. And and I think that makes a lot of sense. So as long as you trust the data product and that people are adhering to interface standards, data mesh can really work, right? It's about where there is communication between two different teams. There is an interface that is understood and trustable. But both Guillermo and Steven talked about the need for an easy path, a golden path for domain teams to take so they can make it easy to share their data in the vast majority of use cases, right? That it's relatively simple and low friction if you provide them that golden path. And there's also a need for some quality control to make sure data products are trustworthy, You know, having reasonable SLAs that they meet and, and all of that. So again, if, if you think about that interface, there needs to be trust that that interface is going to work, but it really is a good way of thinking about you have your encapsulation within your domain and that your data on the outside, the way that you interface with other teams is, is via your data product. So per Stephen, what they've seen in most domains that they're working with relative to, to data mesh, most domains are happy to follow that golden path, but you certainly need that path to start out where they are. Trying to make them use completely foreign tooling and workflows, it's just going to be a tough sell, right? It, you have to, to meet them where they are and create that golden path from there. They're also having some, some decent success with having the concept of kind of a certified data product, you know, certified grade A data product label that comes from the core data mesh implementation team. And so if you're using that happy path, you kind of get that automatically, but it's harder to get that if you use your own tooling, there's a lot more checking, but they make that so that way teams can, can have that low friction way to get that kind of certification. This all you know, obviously acts as a quality control measure. Stephen talked about when evaluating where on the centralization, decentraliz- centralization slider decisions should fall, you should really look at domain maturity and organization maturity. Centralization pri- provides more support, if more of a bottleneck in many cases. So there is that trade-off between that support and that bottleneck. If you still need that support, you have to deal with there being a bottleneck, but you're not just throwing everybody out there and saying, you know, just do the thing and everybody's kind of not figuring out how to do that. They need some support in a lot of cases. Are domains really ready to take on the full responsibility of whatever task you are considering? It's it's okay to not have a one-size-fits-all approach, right? Each domain and challenge can Be unique if if it needs to be. Your approach to that can be unique. Guillermo recommends looking at your implementation with that kind of journey lens that we've been talking about in a lot of these things. It's a gradual process. It's not a one or a zero. You're on this journey. And you want to look for nodes. So in the data mesh terminology, that'd be data products in in data mesh that you can move quickly on towards publishing data and, and have a higher return more quickly. Somewhat atypically, Guillermo and Steven recommended starting your proof of concept, if you even need to do a proof of concept, with a single domain. They recommend starting with uh, an eager domain and to make sure that 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 domain has the support from the platform team. Pick a consumer-aligned domain with a high demand for data. Again, some of this advice round, runs counter to what many have said, and, and it's absolutely valid to put that out there. Instead of the proof of concept, Stephen recommends trying to drive the high level buy in via a C level sponsor. That way, you have time and funding to get things moving. It's obviously easier said than done, but if you can go this route, you're Journey is likely to be smoother, as you won't have to constantly be looking for funding and kind of proving every step along the way that this is valuable, what you're doing. When driving buy-in via the C-level sponsor, Stephen mentioned never once using the phrase data mesh. The the execs really responded to the phrase self-service and kind of the concept around the fourth industrial revolution. So I think that's that's helpful. Again, I've talked about this before, but talking about data mesh outside of the technical team, it just it's setting yourself up for more confusion and, and friction. When driving by-in, Guillermo talked about directly telling the teams, what does this all mean explicitly for them? This has been something a lot of folks have said, but go and talk to them and tell them what does this mean and what do they get out of it? You know, make it mutually beneficial for them to participate. So, there's a lot of really interesting tidbits in here. I think it it provides a unique perspective and um, some some really good uh, thoughts to to really digest around your data mesh implementation. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. All right. Very, very excited for this episode today. We've got two people from Driven, which is part of uh, Zebia. Um, So we've got Steven Noyen here, who's the head of strategy. And we've got Guillermo Sanchez, who's the analytics engineering tech lead. And what we're going to look to talk about So Go Data Driven, Uh, I'll I'll let you guys kind of introduce it a little bit more, but it's a consultancy company that's uh, helping people kind of to implement things like data mesh and and around the kind of data space in general. So what we're going to talk about today is kind of, is data mesh right for you? Like even that that initial question of, there are lots of people probably coming and saying, what is this data mesh thing? Is it right for you? Um, And then... If it might be right, how do you think about that implementation path? How do you actually do it? Like the actual, mm-hmm. uh, not just the putting the the strategy document together, but the actual, like, hey, we're going to go do this. Um, so, with that kind of as the the framing, if if you two don't mind uh, giving people a bit of an introduction to yourselves as well as go yep. Data Driven, and then we can we can jump from there.
1: Sounds great, Scott. Thanks for the introduction. So, my name is Steven Noyen. I'm uh, uh, the head of strategy at GoData Driven. Uh, we are a niche boutique consultancy located in the Netherlands. Uh, we've been working on data for the last 10 years. We started out with a Hadoop platform just when it began and, uh, at become a big e commerce platform in the Netherlands. And then we continued developing data science use cases on data platforms. We then developed more and more data lakes. And these days we're uh, yeah, going into the domain of data meshes. Uh, we do this for yeah big corporate companies uh, that you uh, that you know internationally. Sometimes even like uh, IG Bank, for example, or uh, Ahold. Um, but we also do it for yeah n- number one e-commerce parties. Uh, so uh, we have a very wide range of clients within the Netherlands. We are with sixty people, more or less.
2: Yeah. So my name is Guillermo Sanchez. I am the analytics engineering tech lead, uh, as you mentioned before. Um, um, so I think uh, for me, I joined Code Data Driven one year ago, and uh, I've been studying data platforms for a while. Uh, already, I think before you, I even heard about data mesh, I discussed how uh, you know data engineering teams were becoming a bottleneck. <laughs> so that's what, uh, you know, the first time that I actually got into data mesh, I, I said, like, yeah, these, these things actually resonate a lot with me. Um, so, yeah, indeed, uh, working with clients to try to understand whether data mesh is a good fit or not. And uh, in general, what we can do to help them in the data space.
1: Yeah, and I think it's uh, why we're here with the two of us. Uh, Guillermo has a lot of hands-on knowledge about the platform and the technology, and I'm a bit more about the management consulting side of implementing a data mesh. It also requires a lot of people change, uh, process change. So that's uh, what what I hope to uh, to give us an input in this talk. Yeah, I mean the. One thing that I always run across
0: is is, and it's good that uh, you're you're not jumping straight down that path of pe- technologists want a technology, right? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> people that that like to to deal with the technology often want to just go, okay, how do I implement this from a technological basis? And it's like, uh-huh. well, you kind of got <laughs> you've got to put in the people process plumbing almost before you even think about putting anything down from a coding standpoint. Uh, that's that's where I'm seeing a lot of people are having success of, of like, how would we go about this from, from a cultural standpoint? So um, like you said, you're, you're, you're working with a lot of people um, across a lot of different challenges. Not all of them are doing data mash or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So... You know, how are those data mesh conversations happening? Are you talking to them about they might want to consider this? Are they coming to you and saying, we want to do this? And you're saying, well, let's let's figure out if it's actually right for you. How, how are those conversations kind of, and I'm assuming they've kind of evolved from, you, you might have been more willing to talk to them and, and and say, you might want to look at this versus now there's that inbound of we want to do this. And it's like, well, hold up, yeah. let's, let's figure out if it's right. But would love to hear that.
2: I think, uh, again, I can start by saying that, the, uh, indeed, I think one year ago, sort of around one year ago, um, um, if a company uh, maybe fit this criteria of, uh, you know, being a good candidate for data mesh, uh, we'd probably bring this to the table, but these days we're actually getting more requests to just have discussions around data mesh, right? Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we get a lot of clients asking us, like, hey, I have this and this problem, is data mesh maybe a good solution for me? And sometimes the problems don't have anything to do with uh, you know data mesh itself, right? But uh, sometimes they do. Uh, so yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, I agree, and I think in my eyes it's very naturally evolving from uh, the data platforms that we've we've been building for the last uh, five to six years. Uh, everybody now has a data lake in some sense, uh, and a lot of our co- yeah, our clients or customers they just don't see the benefits from the data lake, uh, so. They struggle with scaling their data science use cases. They struggle with scaling reporting, and uh, I think that that's the main uh, question that companies come to us about. Like, how can we make sure that uh, we we can enable some kind of self service uh, to decentralize a little bit all of this, uh, yeah, the central platform knowledge in the middle, and uh, how can we scale up this across the organization?
0: Yeah, I think when you if you watch any of Jmac's early talks and everything, you know, she was originally, before she had a, a name for it, it was beyond the data lake. And it was that people were mm-hmm. coming to her and going, okay, we implemented the data lake, but this didn't go as, as well as we wanted to. So yeah. let's implement another data lake or, <laughs> you know, they're like, okay, this one didn't go. And it's like the definition of insanity is kind of keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So um mm-hmm. So when people are coming to you and saying, you know, hey, is data mesh the right fit for this? What what do you think of as the, the the kind of hallmarks or the signals that that data mesh might be a good fit versus when is it not? You know, you said those these challenges aren't the things that data mesh addresses. And and I think that's a, an important point of centralization is valuable until it's not. It becomes a bottleneck. It isn't necessarily inherently A bottleneck right that bottle can be wide enough for how much flow you've got going through it until it's not and so like there's a reason that bottles have been in human history for you know millennia
1: yeah and i think i think if we look at our clients there i think you can make a distinction into two types of clients so on the one hand we have uh, digital native companies pretty young still uh, e-commerce platforms uh, and uh most of the time they have a central platform and they're, they're doing pretty well um, with, with just a central data team. And then the other type of client is, I think big corporate organizations with a uh, lots of different operating companies, sometimes operating companies within the same country, even like the Netherlands, uh, three or four different divisions, but sometimes also with operating companies across Europe. And those companies there, if you ask the specific operating companies about how, how they deal with their reporting analytics uh, needs, They are always complaining about uh, the global lake or the global uh, efforts that they are dependent on to do the local uh, analytical needs for the operating company. And I I think, therefore, especially for those big corporates, uh, a data mesh is way, way more relevant than for uh, for a smaller e-commerce platform uh, that can still manage with a central team.
2: Yeah, so... I think this is one of the things that we ask, uh, let's say, ourselves when a client comes to us and says, hey, maybe I'm interested in data mesh. Uh, we look indeed at this kind of thing, right? Like the size of the company. Uh, also, what is the size of their data team and how many uh, consumers, uh, consumer teams, we call them, uh, can they serve, right? Because if you have, let's say, a data team of eight people and you have four uh, consumer teams, then you may be, well... Uh, but if maybe you need to serve to 30 consumer teams and you're eight people, uh, then that's that's probably not enough. Uh, so so we we try to basically think, uh, like find, find these sort of uh, indicators, right? Like, for example, what is the quantity of sources or uh, the, the size of your data team, as I mentioned before, uh, the number of domains. Uh, so these sort of indicators, you know, they add up and at, uh, maybe if you reach certain threshold, then... It's it's maybe a, a, at least a good indication, a good indicator that you should go towards data mesh.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Bar Moses was the first one that kind of put out a, a rubric, uh, a scoring system around. Hey, mm-hmm. like, like let's look at these questions and say if you score this level, data mesh might be um, a, a good fit. That that if you're, it's kind of what you said as well. Of these digital native companies, I think. What we're starting to see is that even in digital native companies, as they scale, what I, I'm starting to see is that the interoperability becomes the, the really big bottleneck. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay. not even necessarily the technology, the central platform itself, because um, it's it's that the, the teams have owned serving their data in some way or another, maybe not to the same degree that it is within data mesh but it's that that interoperability that the consumers and and the the lack of transparency it's a pub sub model right of i publish my data you subscribe uh-huh. to it i'm the publisher you don't have any say in what i'm publishing <laughs> right like that that kind of power dynamic uh of the data consumers not having that power to be able to ha- be part of the conversation. Now, some people I think get it wrong and f- and say, "Oh, the script has flipped, and now the data consumers have all the power in data mesh." And it's like, no, data mesh is a high empathy <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> if if it's if right. like it's power dynamics, it's if it's like the political aspects that you're really trying to to figure out, um, you're probably headed for for some issues rather than. A, a fun uh, working environment with each other but um is is there anything where if if somebody is asking you know kind of listening and saying is 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 this the right thing what what would you say are the signals that that centralization is actually your problem is your bottleneck do you have anything that's that's really i mean because yeah, uh,
1: yeah we do yeah
2: i i think yeah. uh, we usually say that if an analyst, let's say, in one of the consumer domains, uh, it's waiting for more than a week for, let's say, a data set or something like that, uh, then you're already worried that something is going on, right? And there's some sort of bottleneck in the platform somehow, or, or, or there's too many stages uh, uh, in, in these data pipelines, because the data is actually not coming through. So somewhere along the line there's a big bottleneck we mm-hmm. usually know where it is right it's uh, usually the data engineering team um uh, but this is this is i think one of the the clear yeah. indicators of that
1: and I, I think you can you can or you have like a, like a more early warning signal even uh, for example if one of the domains is starting to hire their own data analyst yeah that's the point when you should consider and think about hey why is this domain hiring their own data scientists or data analysts instead of uh, yeah, filing a backlog request at my uh, central bi team yeah, that, that's when I think uh, you start you need to think about decentralizing something yeah. and whether your current architecture is fit for purpose
2: and there's actually so uh, another for example uh, thing that we see a lot I think is the, the workarounds right so when you start seeing uh, uh, basically these, these consumer teams right the business analysts that usually, are served by this platform, either via reports or, uh, I don't know, exports of data, uh, they start to work around. This. So they start to go directly to to the to the domain system owners, right? And they ask them personally, hey, can I get an export of this data, please, to do some analysis? And then that defeats the purpose of having a data platform in the first place because you're just working around the data platform yourself. Um, and, and when you start to see these workarounds as well is when you realize that, yeah, that you need to do something, basically. Yeah. So if people are working around it, then you need to do something because what's the point of having a data platform if nobody uses it? Uh, do
1: you recognize those warning uh, signals, uh, Scott, or you see different warning signals?
0: So, well, I think it depends because there are companies where it's it's funny because I've talked to a few where they're already decentralized and that the um, the decentralization nature is that they're just complete silos. And so that's why they're moving to data mesh is that there's a big big challenge with them actually having inter- any interoperability. So when a data scientist wants to go in and if they're not already embedded in those domains, if there's a data scientist that wants to take data from multiple different places or a data analyst, it's just impossible. It becomes this this massive challenge from that that standpoint as well but i think i think what you're talking about it makes a lot of sense i haven't heard it put that kind of succinctly of just like hey you know there there's this concept of the around the platform if the platform's not doing what it needs to do shadow it exists so this <laughs> is kind of shadow it team right?
1: yeah, yeah, it yeah 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 i think that's when you need to think about uh, the organization of your data mesh a bit more, right? because if all of those domains that, that you want to self-serve and that's going to work decentral, uh, if, you want, if you want to enable them, you think, I think you should also do some kind of quality control on the people they hire, right? And you want that the people they hire decentrally, they still benefit from the, sort of the central way of working facilitated by the data platform or the data mesh team. Uh, so you also want to have a say in, okay, what are the skills of these persons that are joining the team? And can they join like a community of practice or some kind of internal knowledge sharing on how to deal with this data mesh structure? Um, if you're completely letting alone your Decentral team and hiring their own analysts and scientists, uh, that's that's when it becomes most of the chaos, I think. And we, I've seen companies where a certain scientist in a certain department works with R, another scientist in another department works with Python, another scientist in another department works in the cloud. Uh, all of them are you know uh, finding their own ways of, uh, of dealing and combining data instead of uh, doing it in the same similar way that that's uh that's something that uh yeah that on the organization side of, of data mesh that it's good to th- think about
0: yeah and and what I've seen on that is where I think a lot of companies are, are winning it with data mesh or where they're doing well is allowing those people to to do those though their own way of working as long as they are publishing that data back in a way that it doesn't matter, right? Like, so it doesn't matter if you're, if you, I don't know if you, how you learned how to do like a complex multiplication, but the Japan has this weird way with like crosses and slashes with like different numbers and stuff. So you can do complex uh, multiplication with large numbers. And it's like, it just breaks everyone's mind the first time they see it, but it works. And it's like, So that's fine because they're just pushing out like a number at the end. And so if you make it where it's consumable, it can be fine. But if they have to cross collaborate, then yes, exactly what you're talking about becomes an issue. And if you're trying to create a platform that enables them, then that also becomes a big issue. Mm -hmm. So if they want to take on owning, running their own stuff, that's not as much of a problem, but exactly what you talked about of, that collaboration aspect, you, you're you're setting yourself up to create silos if you're not careful around having intentionality of that centralized platform and that centralized kind of way of working where you don't enforce that this is, it's what I call it, or what uh, a couple of people have, have said, and I've just started stealing it, is um, standards, not standardization. Yeah, yeah. Right? That you make it so that they they can do... Uh, The stuff in the way that they want but that they also have like a this is these are the good practices or here here are the Mm -hmm. common practices and here's stuff that we're going to do to to make your life easier if you adhere to common practices and if you don't best of luck Mm -hmm. to you
1: (laughs) yeah we have a a different word for it we call it like the golden path so you together in a community of practice within your organization you you develop a golden path together with all the analysts and scientists and it should be the ideal route for you to get data from different sources uh, transform it do a data science piece of work make a model and publish the model and productionize the model and do some ml ops on it and this whole process from a to z you want to have at least one yeah, golden route for that so that everybody can easily adopt and it will solve like 95 percent of the use cases within your organization and then yeah if the other five percent is so specific that they require different technology needs you can, you can talk about that, of course, eh, to do that. But I think the golden path is really like the first thing to facilitate. Yeah.
2: So I, I think I think one of the things is that actually data mesh really only cares about, let's say, not only cares, right? But mainly it's focused on interfaces, right? So that's what you mentioned before. Uh, so let's say basically whatever you expose uh, to other domains, uh, make sure that that, that, is, that has a standard. that. That is a hundred percent data mesh, right? What happens inside the domain is not that data that much of a data mesh concern, I guess. But it is still, as a consultant, it's actually of our concern. And what we see is that creating these golden paths and and uh, basically also creating these spaces to share knowledge between uh, analysts, scientists, engineers yeah. from different domains. This really, really helps a lot. Then uh, in in creating this. Uh, good data products, right, that that other domains can consume. Because the thing is that you can have the interface that the data mesh tells you to have, right? Uh, and that's standardized. But how good your data product is maintained, that really depends on how you're actually doing stuff, right? So you really need to care about doing stuff right as well.
0: Yeah, we. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about it, maybe not at the 95.5, but at the 80.20 80% should should have coverage and 80% for every aspect, right? So you've got a standard data model or you've got a couple of standard data models. You've got a blueprint for your data product. So if the domain isn't very complicated, boom, it's done, right? Like they don't have to put in the work. They don't have to invent things from scratch if, yes. if there's not a need for it, right? Where it I, I talk about the... Um, interview question that is the worst interview question on the planet, which is, so tell me about yourself, right? Like, what? Like, there's no prompt, there's no nothing. So you don't know how to do it. But but I actually, I, I really like, I haven't heard anybody say it in that, that way, but that data mesh is really about those interfaces. And it doesn't matter as long as it is scalable and that it's reliable and that you can trust that the domain is going to do it it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter how they do it but you also want to focus on enabling them so that it isn't difficult and that it is reliable and scalable and and you do want to make sure that that domain doesn't go off and go we're going to we're going to invent our own database yeah. technology and our oh, own streaming technology yeah. for yeah. for a small scale thing and it's like no yeah. Just just use this thing that's already there. Like, come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And I do, I do find that I uh, completely agree. And, and I, think, I think many organizations also agree. And domains that are starting out and want to develop something, they're really perfectly happy to accept a golden path and they want to go that way. It's just that you need to find each other, uh, help them on board such a process, help them recruit the proper people, teach them a little bit on how it works. So that's, that's basically what they need to import the data mesh in a, a voluntary and cooperative way. And at yeah. some point they can even contribute back to it and make it even better. I completely agree with that. Yeah,
0: I think, that, I think that's a good point is uh, data people, when they go and they talk to application developers, it's often you're not speaking the same language. And so they're happy to follow the golden path once they understand what the golden path is and that that golden mm-hmm. path is... Part uh, is actually golden to them. It's not a a very difficult path, but it's the right path. It's that it's yeah. got to be in there. It's 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 not that you're you're diverting them to move them over. You know, three miles. You got to walk three miles that way to get to the golden path. It's like mm-hmm. you got to meet them where they are. Otherwise, it's not a golden path. yeah,
1: yeah. No, you're saving them a lot of time. Uh, it, it, pro- presumably. yeah, yeah. And what we uh, sometimes also do uh, to, uh, to encourage that is that you can say, okay, if you follow the golden path, uh, you publish a report, a new data set that way, and then let's give it an approval or a stamp from the central data mesh team. Yeah? So you can say, okay, these data sets or these reports, they have been published according to the golden path. So you can rely on the quality or you can rely on the, the reliability of the pipeline. Yeah. Um, and that way, you, that's also like a trigger for them to do it that way instead of doing solving themselves. Well,
0: I was going to say they have to put in extra work to certify themselves versus the others.
1: <laughs> yeah, they cannot. You know, you, you keep the certification, of course, only from the Data Mesh Central Platform team. Yeah. So you, they cannot certify themselves. So if you want, they want to be compliant with the internal company standards on building great quality and reliable dashboards, then they need to adopt the golden path or... Have a solution, a custom solution approved by the data mesh team. Yeah, then then I think you can have still have some control on uh, on what whatever is being yeah. created decentrally instead of complete chaos. So I, I think you need to sort of find this balance
2: between uh, you know creating a bottleneck because of these sort of certifications, and uh, also make sure that uh, you measure the quality of what different domains are producing. Because indeed. Um, yeah, certifying the quality is a really important thing of the data mesh, right? You want to know that if a data set or a machine learning model is published uh, uh, so that other domains can use it, you want to make sure that the quality is there because otherwise you are consuming something bad, which means that the output of uh, what you're doing is going to be bad as well, right? Uh, but indeed, there needs to be a way, uh, and this varies per client, in which you make sure that you give a certification uh, or this, this quality stamp, uh to to the data products that are actually you know being developed and maintained in the in the right way
1: have you heard something about that like scott like this kind of quality control of decentralized teams working that way from the people that you talk to or is it always up to the decentral teams to publish and create anything they like without any validation from a mesh content
0: I think it's very different depending on, on each company. So, um, you know, I've talked to some where they're like, okay, this, this needs to meet this certain level, but there's Mm -hmm. also within, there's been this expectation for data, especially a data warehouse that this is the thing and people lock to it and that this data is, has been thoroughly cleaned and is, is, perfect in the way it is. And, and, you know, it's wrong, but, you know, that kind of master data management concept of like, this is, is golden and certified and blah, blah, blah. But like there within data mesh, what we're seeing is that because it's not all flowing into one place, you can have different definitions of what the quality product is. It -hmm. may serve a different need where it's like this, the the data certification behind it is not that this is all that clean because we're going to do a reconciliation on a daily basis because that reconciliation is compute intensive and costly but we're going to give you access to this stuff that's not all that clean you know uh that that happens 10 15 minutes after if if that's if that's what you need versus we're going to do this kind of compute intensive reconciliation it's kind of like even just like banking transactions people think of of um, banking as being very very um, you know highly highly acid, very consistent it's like no, a lot of it's very eventually consistent right like you, you have to be able to not give out more money than than people have, but you know that's why you can only take out a certain mon- amount of money from a an ATM every day, right? Just so that you're not going to thirty different ATMs and trying to pull out the money. Well, before everything's been um, <laughs> kind of uh, propagated that this is where where uh, your bank account balance is, and so um, I-, I think that definition of quality changes and that you've got to have that. Mohammed Syed was on and he, he mentioned that that really, really strong definition of what is a quality data product is different than what is the data quality within the product. And so yeah, I,
1: yeah.
0: I, I think that certification is important to engender the trust, right? Because one thing with, there's two different definitions of data reusability, right? There's that, is this data actually used in lots of different places? But there's also the like, can I come back to it? Can I actually like know that it's going to be here and that it's going to be updated and that I can understand what it is and I can, you know, have a reusable pattern that I can continually consume from this, that it's not that this was a a geyser of fresh water, but this is a, a spring. And then I can keep going back and refilling my, my water versus it shot up once. And I'm like, I'm trying to collect as much as I can just in that that one time frame. So I haven't seen anybody talking about this specific like quality, quality checks as much. But I think understanding how that works is, is really important and designing that for for the way your organization needs it. Is very important whether it's it is a direct certification or not. I think everybody should be asking that question, right? That that centralization decentralization slider is important. So, yeah. Sorry, sorry, long answer, but like it, yeah. it's it's a question I haven't thought about, and so kind of thinking out loud, but I think it's really important to ask. Each company, if that's something that they want to do, not necessarily to say everybody has to do this, but it's no. important. So,
1: I've, and I think in general, that's that's what I think all the data mesh implementations are always custom, right, and always depend on the <laughs> company culture and the organization. So that, that definitely counts. But I like uh, what you just said uh, when you said like this decentralization versus decentralization slider. Uh, we we also say that there's like a graduation in in the amount of uh, decentralization that you do. Uh, do you do? Data size decentral? Do you do BI decentral? Do you do data modeling decentral? There are different choices. Do you do data ingestion decentral? Uh, yeah. We shift the boundary depending on uh, the maturity of the client and sometimes also uh, the maturity of operating companies or divisions within the client. So it can be that, for example, a very mature division that's working on the core processes of, uh, of an e commerce platform is pretty mature with data and they want to do everything. Decentral from ingestion to data modeling to BI to these data science, but if we want to enable their HR department or their finance departments, which are more traditional still, we can set the slider just to decentralize only the BI part, and we still do the data modeling and the data ingestion centrally. And I think that's that's a that's a really a big part also of the yeah, the, the customization. Yeah. Uh, that you need to take into account when implementing a data mesh in practice. And this, uh, that is a
2: really important point, right, of, of uh, implementing data mesh. I think, first of all, it's, it's sort of a gradual process as well, right? Because there's some domains, uh, I think you, men- you mentioned quite traditional ones like HR or finance, that by default usually they don't have really a lot of data-savvy people, right? Well, they have data-savvy people maybe, but with Excel, but not tech-savvy people, so not Mm -hmm. people that know SQL, for example, right? Or or that are able to use tools like, uh, you know, Git for version control, right? Things that are super important to develop a node within the data mesh, they do not have those skills. And uh, so if we go back to how to implement the data mesh, right? Uh, This, uh, like, taking it gradually, like, selecting first nodes that are able to actually become data mesh nodes and, and that quite quickly see the the benefit and the impact of of going to, to a data mesh is actually uh, probably the right choice for your company. And then probably HR and finance in the future will look at marketing, let's say, and say, yeah, those guys are actually doing quite a lot with uh, with data. I like that. And then they move into this space, right? Um, so that's, that's for me, one of the keys of uh, of starting to implement the data yeah, mesh. Yeah, it's not a big bang. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah,
0: yeah there, there's a reason. I think Intuit was the first one to call it a journey. Um, mm-hmm. may, maybe Zalando does, maybe Max Schultz was, was saying that as well. But uh, the first one that I really remember was Intuit saying our data mesh journey. And it's like, yeah, it is a journey. It's not. And and uh, we had, you know, I had Max Schultz on uh, a couple of months back and he was talking about, you um, that they're two years in and he's like, yeah, we're probably 20, 25% in <laughs> somebody was like, what, how is it? It's like, because I mean, and you're never really done. Right. This is, this is like, what is your story as a person? Right. Like, uh, are you, do you hit, you know, age 40 or 50 or whatever, and you're done evolving as a person? No, you, you, you continue to, to advance and grow up and learn new things. And, you know, hopefully evolve in the right direction. And sometimes you still make mistakes and you, you learn how to move on from those mistakes and things. But yeah. And that, that, that copy paste people really do want to copy paste of, you know, how do I do this? Like, just tell me exactly how to do this. Or that scoring framework of, am I, is data mesh right for me? And it's like, there are aspects of it that are probably right for every organization, but like it's a big challenge. And so Do you want to say you're on a journey when you're at 200 people? I I think it's a little silly versus like we're really focused on um, putting the onus on domains to properly think about sharing their data, but that there's still those centralized data models and that you don't need every domain to be developing all these things and that you don't need these um, producer aligned, source aligned, primary data products versus we can just skip to the things that are are like the derived information, or we can, we can figure out a way where we can make that uh, data available, but it's not in a data product. And then we're going to derive it from that, right? Like Meh. you don't need that much kind of craziness there. So, um, so, you know, we, we started to kind of jump into the, what is the road to implementation? So, what, what do you think before people start heading down this this road? Like, do you think that they need to understand how to do DevOps or do you think that they need a certain data maturity or data team size? Or like, how do you think about that road to the POC, you know, the proof of concept and then the road to the actual implementation? And then we can jump into, you know, you're just going to tell us exactly how to do Data mesh for every company. That's what we're going to get to in the in the next 20 minutes.
2: Exactly. Uh, No. So indeed, I think uh, proof of concept is still a good good, uh, right. It's it's a good thing that you can maybe go for, uh, even though proof of concept sounds a little bit like uh, you sort of need to. It needs to end at some point, right? And and it needs to be measured and and bounded. uh, Whereas. You know, I'm actually, I like quite a lot this expression of a journey, right? Because maybe it's something that is evolving. Um, but anyway, if you go for a POC, indeed, uh, one of the things that you can do is actually pick an, an eager business domain, right? So a business domain that, you know, they already have like some in-house skills and they also see the benefit uh, of doing this. Um And you probably also need some support from what we call a platform team. eh? And a platform team would be the one that builds sort of these reusable infrastructure components that will make it easier for the particular domain uh, to, let's say, uh, build these data products. And this this domain can be uh, a consumer-oriented domain or a source-oriented domain, right? Sometimes source-oriented domain to have access to technical people that maybe find it easier to implement uh, these data products. So that can be also a good way to go. Uh, but indeed, I'd say that picking one domain is usually a good idea to start.
1: Yeah, and I think if you you, you say uh, pick a source-aligned or consumer-aligned team to start with, I will, I will pick a consumer-aligned team, I think, because those are often the people that are more in need of insights and data data uh, then the source alliances teams would just want to publish their stuff but not do nothing with it, right? So they're also pub- fine publishing to a data warehouse or a data lake. So yeah. I rather uh, I rather start with a consumer-oriented yeah. team that has a high demand for data.
2: That's that's a good point because also you maybe see the value better, right? Yeah, uh, because these do- these domain teams are actually going to uh, the consumer domain teams. They are going to build data products for directly for these particular domain to actually start acting on data so that's actually pretty nice because then you're building something that is going to be used to act upon data yeah. uh, uh, so th- that also creates
1: maybe some sort of better marketing of data mesh within yeah. the company there's often a business case around it so if, if it's the, the consumer line team is for example your operations department they they see a benefit in uh, in more data-driven logistics for example yeah Uh, So they're willing to hire scientists or analysts uh, that can work on this decentralized way. Uh, And then you only need a little bit of budget from IT to facilitate, of course, the the central uh, team that needs to uh, facilitate the infrastructure. But it helps if you have a a, a willing-to-pay consumer-aligned team. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and and one thing around this that that gets really kind of bogged down in the details is, is something I've heard is that um, people think of it as that you should, or, or a lot of people are saying you should have a source aligned data product, but a consumer driven use case. Mm-hmm. And so the source, because if you have a, a kind of derived data product, right, if it's something that where you need the data from other domains they haven't already set up their sharing appropriately. So if you have to go to those other domains to have that use case, it becomes a challenge versus the other the other way around. Now, easier said than done, it may not be that, that you've got that capability to, to just find that and that it's there. But I, I think that what just keeps coming through more and more is yeah, you don't want to just have something where you're just publishing and and that you are looking for a user versus you go and you say, "Hey, there is a user. Somebody wants this Amen. data, whether it's within their own domain, whether it's it's across domain things, that you say there is somebody who's going to use this data for this use case and we're going to make this data product extensible and reusable so other people can use it because this has been the other thing like when we think about the way most people have thought about data products and building them before data mesh, right? So if you want to differentiate, there's the kind of industry data product sense, which is just a product heavily backed by by data versus a domain data product within data mesh. That industry data product has been something that it's been very, very limited reusability where it's so spe- you know purpose built. Yeah. And that you, when you want to think about not having that purpose built so that other people can become a consumer of it, you want to start with that initial consumer because you do have somebody that's bought in that's going to help pay for it. That's going to be like, this is yeah. going to be the thing. And, and it, it's, it's funny how just going to a domain and saying you need to start sharing your data versus, Hey, here's, here's why we're going to use this. Here's how we're going to use this and we're going to fund it right? And we're going to give you the ability to do this easily. We're not just going to say, you need to start sharing your data in this way. This is the, the way that data is shared now, go do it versus like, hey, let's work together. Let's, let's figure out how to make this easy on you. You know, exactly what you said of, of putting that platform team next to them. I think it's, it's really it, it, that that keeps coming through in all of the ones that are successful. Right. Yeah. A lot of a lot of the ones where people are stuck, these conversations, it's because they're, you know, kind of making demands on people instead of pairing. Right?
1: Yeah. That level alignment that that needs to happen at the C-level as well. Right. So uh, if you want your domains to adopt to a, a data mesh, you need to have the, the, the chief operations officer or the chief financial officer or the chief commercial officer. You need them to align together with the chief data officer in your board level that they're all going to use the data mesh concept. They can work decentrally, set up their own analytics and reporting teams and hire their own people, fund them themselves. They can determine their own pace, but they, that they want to work in yeah, the golden path that's created by the, the chief data office team. Yeah. and that yeah, that's where we start if we, hopefully yeah, sometimes not we start with more technically and it's already been decided but we also help companies advise a lot on the C-level uh, uh, we interview all of the stakeholders across the organization yeah. and we we, set, we we determine this this slider of centralization versus decentralization together with all of those people and if it's aligned well then this should work
2: and this actually yeah. helps a lot in terms of uh, finding the budget as well right because what you see also is that uh, sometimes you're embedded in one of these uh domain teams right and uh, you clearly see right away hey this this team needs like one data engineer one product owner uh and i don't know who else right and really if you don't have this alignment at the c level you cannot ensure that uh, these teams are going to get the right budget right so uh, so aligning these at at the higher levels also ensures that uh, you know um there's not such a fight for budget uh, in terms of uh, getting the right people with the right skills.
0: How are you? So uh, I'll give you one thing that, that I started to to tell people Um, and you, you I'm guessing are going to shout me down on this. So uh, (laughs) I'm totally ready for this. So what I've been telling them is when you're talking to anybody outside of the data organization, all of your documentation should replace data mesh, the words data mesh, with unicorn farts. So that way you're not going to them and saying, we're going to do data mesh. Because then people start to go, well, what is data mesh? And this is our silver bullet. And they go and they try and read up on it. And they're like, what this, you know, like uh, it took me multiple readings through Gmack's articles because I wasn't really focused on the data space before I started to really dig into this it took me multiple readings through, you know, there's this uh, great presentation she did at, at a conference, the XConf uh, presentation that I, I mentioned a bunch of times where as soon as I watched that, I went, Oh, it all clicks. But like, mm. if somebody goes and goes, what, you know, I'm going to read the the canonical thing or I'm going to read the book. And if they're not a data person, it becomes very difficult. So you're, you're going to these people and you're getting this C-level buy-in are you in those direct meetings with these other, these other people? Like, how are you driving that? Are you driving it as saying like, Hey, we're selling it as data mesh or are we saying, Hey, we're going to put together a, a, a process and a, a decentralization to get right. these bottlenecks out of your way. What we call it doesn't matter. It's, it's, yeah. you know, like how, how have you actually implemented that? How have you worked on that? Cause this is something where, I haven't had anybody give me a great answer yet. So if you can give me the answer, then yay, you, you, you win. <laughs> you win this week. So
2: that, that puts some pressure on us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I would tell you what would be my answer. For example, um, I think it's about uh, telling these teams what it means for them. Right. So I don't really care about saying whether it's data mesh or not. Maybe the architects uh, within IT, they do like to use this terminology, right? But if I'm talking to a source-aligned consumer, uh, source-aligned domain team or a consumer-aligned domain-, domain team, right, what I say to these people is that, hey, what it means for you is probably that you're going to get some more responsibility on the on your data products, which means that you will probably have less bottlenecks, Uh, You will have some more work to do, but nice work. (laughs) You will get some help from the central data team that will provide some components for you. I think this is what they want to hear, basically. So what does it mean for me? Because if I tell them data mesh, then they will go read some articles and probably get confused. And I don't think that helps.
1: No. And I I think uh, on the C-level that I've talked to, I've never even once mentioned the word data mesh. So I think this, well, <laughs> nice. uh, if I talk about this concept, it's about self-service. And self-service is the term that really resonates. Everybody wants to self-serve data and analytics and insights. And yeah, you know, people and C-level stakeholders all across the board are convinced that data is uh, yeah, the fourth industrial revolution, and they have to adopt it. Otherwise, you know, they will. Fall out or uh, lose competitive power. So that's not the point. People are convinced of the power of data and they want it fast. And they, they see the bottleneck on the central team. So self-service, that's the key word now. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good problem. point
2: actually.
0: Well and, and so so you're you're kind of in aligned with my unicorn farts theory of like the, the, the fact that <laughs> yeah. you want to make it as, as as stupid and as silly as possible to be talking to data mesh to non-technical people. Because if, if you keep using that phrase, it's, it's, it becomes this, uh, there was somebody I can't remember who was on that was talking about the, the blue box. I think it was Kurt Gardner and he was talking about the blue box. And it was somebody that was in a presentation. They, uh, it was like the leader of the entire organization and they drew on this big whiteboard and they, they outlined it in a blue box and then they had to leave and they were like this is the key this is the thing and then they didn't have time to explain exactly what that meant cuz they got pulled out and so everybody kept saying the blue box the blue box and it was kind of a black box but it was a blue box right <laughs> like it was this this thing and so you know if you have that silver bullet type of aspect versus hey what we're going to do is we're going to make it easier for people to serve their data. We're going to make that self-serve. We're going to make it easier to consume data. And we're going to lower the bar to that consumption in lots of different ways. We're going to make it easier to get access. We're going to make it easier to understand. We're, and then we're going to raise the capabilities of the team, right, that data literacy angle as well. I don't know if, if that... Plays well when you're selling, when you oh, say, and we're going to do a data yeah. literacy because, you know, people are like, oh, is that more investment versus, you know, but like that, that advanced capability is something that I think really starts to resonate or starts to, mm-hmm. to show a lot of, of the value because, you know, a lot of this is well, the data was already available. It's like, yeah, but we couldn't trust it. We couldn't understand it. We couldn't, so we couldn't use it. We couldn't believe that this would be there tomorrow. And that if I had a real question about it, I had somebody that I could go and talk to. And it's not the, the, the awful aspect of a throat to choke, right? Like people talk about with, the, with a vendor of like, I want to go and when I'm having issues, I want to go and, and put pressure on somebody versus I have a partner. Right. I have somebody that's 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 a a product owner that is my partner that I can go and actually ask them. So it's interesting to to hear the the a lot of the same through lines of a lot of these conversations come up more and more. And so it's it, it is good to I think this is the other thing that people trying to do data mesh is everybody feels like, Am I the only one that's running into this? Or <laughs>
1: No, but I think the nice thing about uh, self service, the term self service, is that you you need some self education, eh? like you say, uh, data literacy. It, it's, it's important if you want to decentralize uh, doing data and analytics. And yeah, it's very easy for uh, for us to bring that message across. They, they already mentioned it themselves. Okay, if we want to do self service, so oh, then I need to upskill my own people. Maybe I need to hire a scientist or analyst. They're really, really looking forward to it. And often it's more called data savviness then it's called the data driven or nurse or something or data literacy but they always want to increase the data savviness of their own people when going for this concept it it really goes hand in hand well
0: and i think that's uh, a hiring tactic too to be like hey uh i I don't understand these job posts where it doesn't say here's what you're going to get out of it like we're especially Mm -hmm. in this hiring market where you go Here's why you want to come work for us. Not here's what you're going to do. Here's what we want out of you. It's like, huh? hey, we're, we invest in our people. Like click here to learn about our data literacy program. Like those things, you know, HelloFresh did a great presentation about what they're really doing with their data literacy. And it's led to them, you know, being able to hire a lot more easily than a lot of other people in the market because yeah. they're doing that stuff. So, awesome. um but so uh i mean we've covered a whole lot of really really great stuff i think there's been a lot of of good uh reinforcement of trends that i've been seeing but also like lots of new kind of insights and and um ways to look at this if somebody were to to come to you after this conversation you know and say okay but what do i actually do to get it moving or you know what do i do to, to kind of keep it moving once i've done i've done my proof of concept and i've got that that kind of proof that we found good value in doing this um and so now we want to move forward like what what are kind of the advice that you're you're learning or what are the things that you're learning that that might help people to continue to move forward or move forward initially
1: yeah okay. yeah for me the answer will be c-level buy-in yeah, so uh, if you already have a good f- proof of value where a self-service works for one domain, yeah. Yeah, so you, you've already shown it works, the domain is happy, uh, just go to your uh, board of, uh, of directors <laughs> and uh, <laughs> present it, the results, the findings, and how you want to enable the other domains. Uh, make sure they all align on it. Uh, make sure it gets captured in your data strategy for the long term. And uh, then you should be good to go.
2: I think it's also nice to have some sort of uh, champion, right, within the within the company, somebody that makes sure that yeah. uh, you know the data mesh, uh, yeah, is preached across the company. Yeah, and even that should person.
1: be a C level person. Yeah? Yeah, so it could uh, be
2: like the chief data yeah. officer, right? And then this person makes sure that because you said something really interesting, right? You said mm-hmm. like, yeah, it can be the case that there's a actually quite valuable proof of concept. Everything works out fantastically, but then what happens afterwards? Who follows up? Who makes sure that this keeps mo- keeps moving and and you know impacts other domains? Uh, what are the next domains? Stuff like that. I think there has to be a gatekeeper for these sort of things. Um, yeah. A sponsor, a sponsor, yeah, a sponsor is a good word actually. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and 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 I'm I'm finding that those. Those champions are are typically actually not that sea level, but I think it yeah. is that there is that sponsor of the backup, but that there's kind of a tiger team of champions, right? Where like Angelo Martelli at uh, Van der Lande, for for instance, he is not at the sea level, but he's at a senior level, and so he's able to to go in and and be able to to have good conversations with folks, but he's also not. Um, kind of uh, having to be the person who has to drive absolutely, who has to sponsor everything, right? He can be the person that is running point and and having the conversations and, and getting people um, to understand more. And so it's almost like that you have the, those two aspects, but I do yeah. agree without that sponsorship, you're screwed.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah one, one is more like the, the program manager or the, yeah, the, the the driver of the whole program. And, and the other one is just a C level sponsor, making sure that everybody agrees and aligns and things happen. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because I mean, the, these are the types of things that it's really easy to have a single win or have a couple of wins and then just it falls apart.
1: Yeah, I I do think that uh, like a proof of value for a uh, data mesh is already pretty significant and hard to accomplish. Right? So um, yeah. um, most of the time, I would uh, advise going to the board and, and pitching this first before you <laughs> you do a, a you know a valuable proof of concept or a, a value, and then go to the board afterwards. Maybe better to bring them on board and, and set the direction for the future stage already.
2: Yeah, maybe because it's actually it already a proof of value requires uh, quite a lot of moving parts, yeah, right? Exactly. You need some buying, some some budget maybe to uh, to f- to fund this uh, central data team. I don't know. It's a lot it, of
1: technology it, that needs to set up. All those boxes. A lot of
2: technology, so you, you need to establish the roadmap of this uh, this data team to actually provide uh, building blocks instead of data models. So yeah. it changes quite a lot the focus as well. So uh, this is difficult yeah. to to do a proof of value, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, it's different for every organization and it's different for if you've got a, if you've got a very low investment, uh, moderate return, fast val fast, uh, uh, like time to return, mm. that's, that's your proof of concept, right? Like that's the thing where you go, okay, this is a win. It's not that this is the thing that's going to change the organization, but we can mm. prove out this little thing and learn a little bit and, and get going. But yeah. I mean, I'm finding um, six to 12 weeks is typically the amount of time and that it's, you know, four to six people, at least as kind of the the tiger team from a proof of concept. And they're pairing with a domain where you need 20, 30 percent of that domain's time. So it's it is a significant investment. And you need to, to figure out how you how you uh, kind of get that that buy in first before you move forward. So. Yeah. Um, so uh, this has been really really helpful I, and I think it's going to help a lot of people to kind of m- think about how to evaluate how to move forward especially I think the the reinforcement of there's a lot of people trying to do skunk works um type of data mesh implementations and so those tend to be technology driven versus the the kind of buy in mm-hmm. and and I think I'm just not seeing those people really having a lot of success on on the longer term so um, so is there anything that we didn't cover that you think people should really know about or anything like that, um, that you think would be a good kind of button on anything or?
1: Well, I think it's good to know that we always like knowledge sharing. So in case some people are interested after this, uh, this talk, they can always contact us, find us on LinkedIn or the website of GoDataDriven. Yeah. We have a white paper about data democratization and self-service. So maybe that might be of interest for people. It's just free to download.
0: <laughs> that That's literally my wrap-up questions is, where can people find you? I'll, I'll drop links in the show notes to this. Um, but where can people find you and what do you want them following up with you about? So just in general, or is there anything specific? Is there anything like where you really want people following up with you on? Data discovery is impossible, so how <laughs> do you do that or anything like that?
2: Any any part of the implementation of data mesh really, we because uh, we've done... Uh, many different things for uh, for clients, right? So it can be uh, implementing implement the first building blocks of a data mesh, right? From a technical perspective, it can be really defining the architecture, the to be architecture to to go towards data mesh. Uh, it can also be strategy consulting with Steven, right? So uh, really anything that, uh, that they need at this point in time uh, in their data mesh journey.
0: Well, or, or just, you know, not necessarily even... Clients, but just people doing knowledge sharing. It's like people that. doing knowledge
2: sharing, indeed. Yeah? So we do a lot of knowledge sharing. Uh, just uh, actually, like within the company, if somebody wants to share some experiences, right? Uh, they can also come and and talk to us about their experiences if, uh, if they want. I think that would be great.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I think I, I'm getting the sense of Norway already kind of has its own uh, community running, but I think uh, the Netherlands is is pretty clearing you know or or clearly proving that there's a lot of folks there that are really interested in this so i think you know maybe even some netherlands specific stuff would be would be useful so yeah well, well guys this has been really great uh really appreciate the time and all the information i think this as i said will be very useful for folks so thank you so much for your time and thanks everybody for listening yeah thank
1: you scott it was great have a great day
0: Again, I'd like to thank my guests today, Steven Noyen and Guillermo Sanchez. And Steven is the head of strategy and Guillermo is the analytics engineering tech lead for the European data consultancy, GoData Driven. You can find their contact information as well as a couple of resources in the show notes. Thanks. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs, but I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest, you know, what What are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.